Welcome back to the Oklahoma Municipal League podcast. As always, I'm your host, OML Executive Director Mike Fina. Although I may always be your host, today's episode is going to be a little different than you're used to because there will be no guest. It will just be me pontificating about a very important legislative issue to municipal government. But before I reveal that topic, I need to give you a little background, so I'm going to keep you in somewhat of suspense right now. This week, we launched the first session of, the, of Oklahoma's 58th legislature. I have worked in and around the Capitol for about 21 years now, and I can safely say that this has been the most active first week of session, at least in my history, of working in government. I'm not sure what to contribute that to, but the popular culprit is COVID, and it just really wouldn't be an OML podcast if we didn't mention the pandemic. The pandemic also left a lot of bills uh, in limbo from last session. And over the interim, it also inspired a lot of legislators to craft uh, an overwhelming amount of preemptive bills. But that's actually a story for another day. That's not what we're going to talk about. For, for today's episode, we're going to go back a little further in history, but I need to give you some background. As most of you know, Oklahoma municipalities are almost solely funded by sales tax. And we're the very last state in the nation to fund our cities and towns this way. We do not have direct access to ad valorem taxes, or what people commonly call them property taxes. So all of your roads, your bridges built in municipalities, the fire trucks, the police cars, the parks, well, the list can go on and on and on. Well, those are funded primarily by retail sales in your communities. For years, we have asked the legislature to give us access to property taxes, and for years, they've denied that access due to a strong influence of the schools, counties, and agriculture. You know, it'd be really easy for me at this point to make them the bad guy in this story, but they're not the bad guys in this story. They are simply trying to protect their funding sources just like we try and protect our funding sources in in municipal government. We've been having this fight and this battle for so long over these, these kind, this kind of funding that it's been hard for us to get back to the table and even begin the conversation about a more equitable system for the state. And honestly, I, the state probably likes the fact that we're at odds and that we can't come to agreement. But if we ever could get together and just have the discussion, I think that everybody would see that there is a better way to fund our local governments in the state of Oklahoma. Okay, I'm not going to get too high on that particular soapbox because I haven't really even got to the topic yet. We need to go back to 2008 for, for me to really introduce this topic. In 2008, a collective group of municipal minds came up with this idea of creating public safety districts within municipal borders. And this, well, as the title implies, this would help fund public safety expenses. The concept is pretty simple. Let municipalities capture, well, a small amount of an Avalorm-style fee and use that to enhance fire and police budgets across state. This can only occur after a citywide vote. So the people paying the fee have the final say in the matter. It seems like an easy sale to the legislature. Just give us this ability to ask our own constituents to provide these funds to improve public safety. Seems simple, right? Well, I wish life and legislation were simple. 13 years later, we are still trying to get public safety districts approved. 
and after 13 years, the measure has changed quite a bit. It was almost to the finish line last year. And then, here we go again with the pandemic, then COVID struck. And along with most legislation, uh, it was held up. Its newest evolution is Senate Bill 838. That's authored by Senator Darrell Weaver and Representative J.D. Nolan. If you can imagine in 13 years and keeping this issue alive at the legislature, we had to make so many concessions to get where we are today. The early objections were from the same trio I mentioned earlier, schools and counties and agriculture. Schools and counties have reluctantly now been supportive of the most recent additions of the measure. I say reluctantly because there's still a concern over protecting their funding sources. And if municipalities were actually able to raise property taxes significantly, it could and, and most likely would harm schools and counties' ability to raise funds in the future. Hey, I respect that argument. We're just protective of sales tax. The difference in the two taxes is, though, that sales tax is extremely volatile. So you see a much greater swing in municipal budgets than you do in schools and counties. That's why I feel our request to obtain a small amount is reasonable. We just want to obtain a small amount and then earmark it for public safety. The, the counties also have to mention counties have the ability to install sales tax, and some have, and they've been judicious about it. And we need to pay them the same respect when it comes to, to public safety districts while we're still under this archaic taxing system. So I, I mentioned schools and counties, but before I get into agriculture, because that's always been, been the toughest part about this argument, I want to talk about a new player that actually came into the game last year, and that was big industrial use type businesses. These would be businesses that have large buildings on large plots of land and pay a lot of money in property taxes. So I actually understand their argument about wanting to be exempt. You see, most in most instances, when you're talking about an industrial business that comes to a municipality bringing a lot of jobs and, and more revenue to the city, we had something to do with getting them there through some kind of economic development tool. So it almost seems counterproductive for us to spend economic development dollars to get a business to a community, but then turn around and raise their property taxes. So I, I understand that. Now, I do have somewhat of a counter argument to that because these businesses are also extremely vulnerable to fire to natural disasters, to, to theft and vandalism, and that is when public safety is going to be there to protect those businesses and their assets. But honestly, that argument is not as strong as the economic development argument. We understood that, so we exempted industrial use businesses from the bill. Problem solved? Hey, we move on. Okay, now we're going to talk about agriculture. This is the most perplexing of all opponents to the bill. But if you think I'm about to go on a rant about ag, you would be absolutely wrong. Throughout Oklahoma, there are literally thousands of businesses, agriculture businesses that reside in municipal borders. And there are thousands of men and women who sit on municipal councils and boards across the state who work in the agriculture industry. My family, 
on my, on my mother's side of the family, they were dairy farmers in Collinsville. I spent my summer, every summer growing up, on wheat trucks. I am a product of, of Oklahoma agriculture. The other thing is that family farms are struggling in Oklahoma, and they are truly the backbone of Oklahoma. They built Oklahoma. So raising property taxes on family farms could literally put them out of business. And I feel like as a state and as a people, we are trying desperately to protect Oklahoma family farms. So we don't want to do anything to harm them. That's why, that's why agriculture land has been exempt out of this bill. Now, their argument to the bill is very transparent. And it has been for years. They have a standing tradition of opposing any and all increases to property taxes. And for years, that position has served them well. But in regard to this bill and this moment in time, I wholeheartedly disagree. As family farms struggle, as agriculture struggles to survive with rising costs, so do cities and towns. Funding fire and police and ambulance service now dominate municipal budgets. In most municipalities, public safety makes up more than 50% of the annual budget, and it grows every year. As these expenses grow, our ability to keep up with demand is diminishing. We cannot continue to provide the same level of public safety services with rising costs every year without some kind of additional financial help. That's just a fact. When I was mayor of Piedmont, our city council chambers shared a wall with fire station number one in Piedmont. And there were so many times when I was in the middle of a meeting that you could hear the alarm go off next door and then you could hear the big red shiny fire truck roll out of the station. One day, it actually happened during a a budget workshop meeting. And in my mind, and I say this selfishly because I know it's a horrible thing to to think, but this is where my mind went. Well, there goes another, another several thousand dollars. Because every time that engine rolled out of the station, it cost Piedmont money. It is expensive to even go on a single run. But think about the other side, because it's a worse thought. If that engine were to not roll out of the station, that means a house might be lost. Or worse yet, a life might be lost. The fire trucks have to roll, just like the combines have to roll every summer. For the past 13 years, every objection has been met with a concession by municipalities. Industry exempt, agriculture exempt, but that wasn't even enough. And then last year, Ag threw another curveball at us like they have for 13 years. Said, well, we can get on board with this if you would raise the threshold to 60%. So now in order to pass a public safety district, unlike any other taxing election in the state, that threshold is going to be a 60% victory margin. You can probably hear in the tone of my voice that I think that that's a little ridiculous. And I do. But you know what? We agree to it. We agree to it because we believe strongly in this issue and we know that our constituents will support public safety. I suppose why I think it's so ridiculous and all of these concessions are ridiculous is because my earlier statement, ag is exempt from this bill. I cannot emphasize that enough. 
They will not be taxed. They will not levy the fee. They are exempt. They really have no argument in it, yet for 13 years they have found a way to hold this bill up. But here's the interesting thing. They've delayed it for 13 years, but they haven't killed it. They haven't killed it because it is still a good idea, and it is still good for Oklahoma. The delays and the concessions are over. It's time to pass this bill now. Okay, so there was a new argument this week, too, that I have to mention. And I think it's actually the silliest of all the arguments. And it probably was by, it was probably created by some very inventive lobbyist to try and delay this bill one more time. And, and that is the argument that this bill will create further disparity between urban and rural Oklahoma. But really the, what that argument is doing is creating a further divide in the Oklahoma legislature between urban and rural. It's a nice try and a last-ditch effort, but it's also a fallacious argument to say doing nothing is better than doing something. And it is also very disingenuous for a legislator to vote against this bill just to spite larger cities. Public safety needs are truly based on population and density. More homes, more fires. More people, more crime. It's pretty simple math. And furthermore, this is what drives me crazy about this argument. The state funds none of this. Could someone please, please direct me to the Oklahoma State Fire Department or the Oklahoma State Police Department you won't find them because they don't exist. We fund this kind of public safety, and I call it quality of life public safety. And what I mean by that is this is the public safety that is woven into the fabric of the community that it protects. That's what we fund. We seek no funding from the state, and they wouldn't give it to us even if we did. This is our responsibility. But the responsibility is getting to a point where we cannot continue to keep up with the increased cost. And when you factor in all of the things that all of the things that the legislature does to harm local control and our ability to even manage our own money when we don't get money from them, it makes this more critical when it's talking about funding public safety. This is just one step in helping improve the quality of life of Oklahomans. And yes, public safety is a key component of quality of life. So I'm asking, if you're a legislator that happens to be listening to this, I'm asking you, please, vote yes on Senate Bill 838. If you're a municipal official, call your legislators. Tell them to vote Yes, on Senate Bill 838, if you're a policeman, a fireman, an EMT, or just a citizen who wants to ensure that your community has the best public safety possible, please ask them to vote yes on Senate Bill 838. Now is the time to pass public safety districts. The delays, the excuses, the concessions are all over. This is the year. Please talk to your legislators and encourage them to vote yes on Senate Bill 838. It's been a pleasure to bring you new municipal topics on this podcast, 
and I know this one was a departure from our normal show, but this issue is just too critical to ignore. We will be back in the coming weeks with more interesting topics, and we will continue to cover legislative issues when needed. Again, I'm Mike Fina, Executive Director of the Oklahoma Municipal League, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening. Thank you.